And hello from Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at politics and education. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. And we're in mid-August and things are starting to pick up uh, as school is starting to get ready to go back into session. Some education policies are starting to come to the, the forefront. State Board of Education met this week and talked about kind of the thorny issue of accountability. You listened in, Clark, uh, give us the latest. This is gonna kind of set us up uh, really for the next two years on some policy guidance uh, for our state schools, Kevin. As you remember, we haven't really had an accountability system governing our schools since the end of Tom Luna's term as superintendent right. of public instruction. A lot of, a lot of the listeners uh, may remember the old five-star accountability system. And not necessarily remember it fondly. It was a pretty unpopular system. It was controversial. People complained that it lumped all schools together, that it didn't give enough information uh, about the schools and why they received a rating. And then you had things like well-populated, well-funded, more urban schools lumped in there with alternative schools or rural schools, and it just wasn't popular. And so they repealed that in 2014. We haven't had an accountability model in place uh, since that point, so at no point during current uh, State Superintendent Sherry Ybarra's term have we had an accountability model, but that's about to change. So what might this look like? And what might the metrics be? Are they getting that far along into the process to have some ideas? Yeah. So on Thursday of this week, the State Board of Education meeting in Pocatello gave preliminary approval to a new accountability system. This would break uh, our schools into three different classes uh, for accountability purposes. You would have your traditional high schools, okay. you would have your K through 8, uh, your elementary and your middle schools, and then you would have your alternative high schools in there. So three different classifications of schools. And then the way this will be different than the five-star model, rather than giving everybody you know, four stars or a letter grade or something like that, we're talking about having a data dashboard, which would be something that would be publicly available for all parents, teachers, taxpayers, policymakers to access. And it would have multiple points of data talking about that school's performance. At the high school level, Kevin, that could be everything from... Uh, teacher certification levels, four-year graduation rates, IPSAT proficiency scores. Uh, at your elementary and middle school level, that could be growth on the ISAT. Uh, that could be ELL, English language learner student uh, test scores and, and growth. Uh, chronic absenteeism, again, teacher certification, uh, ability to move on, uh, readiness to move on to the next grade level. And... Um, at the alternative high school, that could include things like your ISAT proficiency rates, your four-year graduation window, and then an extended uh, year graduation uh, window for the alternative schools, along with some of those teacher quality uh, indicators like certification levels, uh, teacher attendance, and things of that nature. So the idea is rather than just having sort of very small, limited piece of information, this score the school is a four, you know, what does that really mean? They would really show you a lot of information uh, about the school, about how uh, students do, about the teachers, and so there would be multiple measures that would be included um, in this and system. They're trying to get a, a multiple measure to get a more complete picture of how our school is performing rather than a, a, a one-shot kind of a, a picture, a snapshot. They're, they're trying to get more of a broad picture of how schools are performing on a variety of different platforms and criteria. That's exactly right. One of the State Board of Education members, Linda Clark, the former superintendent 
of the West Ada School District said one of the problems with the old accountability system is it was largely reflective of a single test given on a single day in a school year to students. We want to get away from that. And so what to look for going forward? State Board still needs to develop a couple rules on how this will be implemented, but we're looking at sort of a dry run uh, practice during the upcoming 2016-17 school year. Then the accountability model should be finalized and officially be governing the schools uh, during the 2017-2018 school year, just over a year from now, Kevin, we can look for that. Okay. And um, speaking of accountability, kind of on a related subject, we've been following uh, this new literacy initiative that came forward from the legislature. You took a little closer look at that $9.1 million, how it's going to be given out to schools. I guess the big question a lot of administrators and educators would have is, are there going to be strings attached to this $9.1 million, Kevin? Not really. So when we're talking about this money for the literacy initiative, there are two pots of money. The $9.1 million is new money, and it's added into some existing money that's uh, gone into literacy intervention in the past. So we're talking about $11.25 million that will go to the schools. And really not many strings attached. Uh, the schools need to show that they spent the money, and they'll need to refund the rest. They will need to show the state that they spent it on programs that are designed to help struggling readers in kindergarten through third grade. But beyond that, they're not really being told how to go about doing this. Uh, the state is not going to look at the approaches and are going to look at the software a district bought or the books a district bought and said, well, we don't think that's really the right approach. Uh, try something else. It's really not going to be a review process as much as a just a compliance and make sure that the money was spent uh, and, and spent in the broad field of trying to help literacy intervention. So really what you've got, in, in essence, you've got 115 school districts and you've got the charter schools. They're really all going to be pilot schools in literacy programs. So we will have to watch and see uh, what do they do with the money and, and how do they approach this big problem of getting kids uh, reading to grade level. So we'll watch the dollars. The dollars should come out in the next couple of months. Uh, could be September when the schools begin to get the money. And then we'll take a closer look as the school year unfolds to see what's being done in the schools. And we'll, we'll be working on going into the schools and looking at the new programs and what's being piloted and what's being tried in schools that are struggling with reading, uh, and also what's being done in schools that have had a pretty good track record. So the, the story we did today, uh, this week, and it's available at idonews.org, was just kind of looking at the money and looking at what happens when the money goes out. It, it kind of sets the stage for what we'll be doing in literacy coverage uh, as the school year begins. And what we'll be doing in literacy coverage, we've talked about this in the last couple of weeks, but I'm excited you're gearing up for a project, Kevin, uh, to track how districts do this. You mentioned that all districts and charter schools are sort of in a pilot project-like situation, and that's because we know there's certain things that they want to do with the literacy money. There are guidelines. If you score kind of at the middle level, uh, it's 30 hours of supplemental reading instruction. If you score at the lowest level, 60 hours. One of the options is all-day kindergarten. Uh, if districts choose to go that rate, 
route for the lowest, uh, most struggling readers. But it's up to the school district. That was one thing in the legislation, in the law, uh, that leaves it up to local school districts to come up with their own literacy plan. And that's why you said that it feels like everybody's kind of in their own pilot project right. here. And, and one of the things I want to do, and this, uh, as we cover the literacy program, as we cover the rollout and work with Idaho Public Television on some joint coverage, one of the things I really want to do is look within the districts, because if you look at the the reading scores, and you look at virtually any school district, you can find schools within that district that are doing really well, and in a lot of cases you can find uh, schools within that same district that are struggling. So why is that? Well, I think most anybody would tell you that demographics are going to be a factor. Yeah. But what are the other factors? And what do the districts do to try to get best practices from the high-performing schools into these lower-performing schools? And when the money comes in, to what degree are the districts uh, targeting the money to these schools that are that have the most uh, most problems, the schools that are struggling the most with reading scores? So a lot that we're going to want to take a look at. And what we tried to do this week was just sort of set the stage and, and give a sense of where the money May go. Yeah, we'll, I'm looking forward to that project, and we'll make sure to keep everybody up to speed on, on how they can find our reporting, where they can ref- find our reporting in the weeks ahead. But speaking of the weeks ahead, Kevin... And speaking uh, of money. And, and speaking of money, uh, we know already that it's a big election year, but m- many people may not know that one of our school districts in the state of Idaho has a school board election coming up, and it's kind of off-cycle with um, the rest of the school districts around the state, but... Uh, What's going on with the Boise School District, and, and, and when's that election day? Okay, it is off-cycle, because Boise is a charter district. They operate under a, a charter that was uh, established before Idaho became a state. So they get to kind of work on their own calendar. So Boise School Board elections are in early September, in this case, the Tuesday after Labor Day. So uh, turnout has always been a challenge, as you might imagine, when you have elections the, the day after a three-day weekend. It's also kind of, so far looks like a fairly low-key race. That may change. You have three candidates running for two seats, and the top two vote-getters uh, will get in. But this is still an interesting race to cover and keep an eye on, and this is maybe pathetic on my part, because I love campaign finance, and I love Sunshine Reports, and this is the first time I'm going to actually get to read Sunshine Reports in a school board race. Um and I wrote about this on my blog earlier this week. This is the first election where the 2015 law on campaign finance kicks in for school board races because the law was passed by the 2015 legislature. It went into effect in July of 2015 after the 2015 school yeah, board races, yeah. after the races in West Data and all of the controversy about who supported whom in West Data and you know all that unfolded there. We had no uh, sunshine reports to hang our hat on. We had no way of saying, okay, here's where this candidate received support. Here's where this candidate received support. It was very frustrating for me as a reporter. So it's going to be kind of fun to watch and see where these three candidates get funding. Uh, You're starting to see endorsements roll in in this race. Uh, The teachers union has endorsed the incumbent, uh, David Wagers, and one of the two newcomers, uh, Monica Walker. Uh, The mayor has endorsed Walker and Beth Oppenheimer. A familiar name because she's been involved in early childhood issues and pre-K issues at the legislature. Oppenheimer has a fairly long list of endorsements, including... The governor, am I right? In, well, the former governor, oh, uh, Cecil yeah, Andrus. Yeah. Um, 
but uh, also uh, former school superintendent in Boise, uh, Stan Olson, and, a, uh, and several uh, Democratic legislators from Boise. So the endorsement game is starting to unfold a little bit, and come the end of the month, we'll see some sunshine reports. And Again, this is probably a, a character flaw of mine, but I can hardly wait. <laughs> no, it, it, it's coming up. It's been more of a discussion. We hear those discussions, the intersection of local school board races and school board issues, intersecting with, with uh, the work we do at the state house. It's, it's mm-hmm. been a topic in each of the last two legislative sessions. We've, we've got uh, the current governor weighing in on the West Ada races, former governor weighing in uh, on, on the Boise School District race. Uh, there's been legislation. It, it really is expanding beyond the borders of just the local independent uh, school districts. And so it's been fun to watch and less than a month away. So it'll, it'll be here before you know it. And we'll have uh, coverage of that. We'll have coverage of an upcoming uh, candidate forum uh, later this month to get to know the candidates a little bit more. Kevin, you'll be all over yeah. uh, those Sunshine Report uh, disclosures. And so we'll look forward to that. Yeah. So earlier this week, you uh, spent some time at a conference that the State Department of Education uh, was hosting to look at the perennial issue of trying to get more kids to go on to college. Uh, what did you hear? Yeah, it was in, uh, took place in Boise uh, early part of, of this week. It was actually an advanced opportunities conference. And, and when I dropped in, I was really interested in a workshop that um, Fred Woolley, a counselor and a dual credit teacher from the Sugar Salem School District in East Idaho, put on about creating a college-going environment in, in rural schools, overcoming uh, cultural stigma and, and dealing with, uh, you know, maybe students who would maybe be the first or just the second generation in their family to go on to college. And so there were couple hundred educators that attended this conference. It was really interesting in that uh, they basically gave up two of their final days of summer vacation, uh, some of them traveling to Boise to go to this conference to talk about ways to increase uh, the go-on rate. And that, you know, when we talk about go-on rates in 2016, that means everything from traditional colleges and universities to a certification program, uh, career technical programs, anything after um, high school is what we're focused on. And so uh, during this workshop, they basically broke into smaller groups and, and talked about ways that they could create a culture to really celebrate continued education. Everything from theme days uh, where seniors would wear gear from the colleges they're applying to, to having your teachers uh, celebrate their alma mater and talk about where they went to college. Uh, some other tips for educators and counselors, creating databases to monitor kids throughout this complex uh, financial aid and application process. If you want to find out a little bit more uh, about how that conference went, who attended it, and some of the ideas that these rural educators and counselors are using, uh, scroll back through the news archives mm-hmm. at idahoednews.org. Look for that on Tuesday earlier this week. Um, before we wrap it up for this week, Kevin, you had a chance uh, to, to give us a little update on the continuing saga that is the broadband issue in the state of Idaho, and this had to do uh, with some legal work, uh, did it not, but what's the latest? So a couple of developments in the Idaho Education Network mess. Um, the first one, um, Rebecca Boone at Associated Press uh, broke the story late last week. Uh, the Department of Administration, the uh, agency that had overseen the, uh, the broadband project, they are not going to seek uh, money back from the vendors who worked on the project. 
Uh, this becomes kind of a thorny legal dispute because uh, the department is saying, uh, we don't believe that the money was advanced to these vendors. We think the money was given to the vendors for work on the project. So Department of Admin Administration is not going to seek a refund. The Supreme Court ruling was pretty clear and, and pretty, uh, pretty pointed and direct in saying that uh, the court believes that the money needs to be pursued. And now, based on the language from that court ruling, the issue kind of gets kicked back to the Attorney General, Lawrence Wasden, who has not yet decided what his next move is going to be. So we'll keep an eye on that. Another development in the, uh, in the saga, uh, the governor uh, has hired another outside attorney to uh, work on an aspect of the, uh, of the case. This is a smaller contract by far. Uh, this is a contract with the Washington, D.C. firm, and it is uh, targeted at trying to press the state's case to get districts money through the, uh, the E-rate uh, program. As you may recall, a couple of months ago, a uh, federal contractor put E-rate dollars on hold for a bunch of school districts. I mean, close to 60 yeah. districts and charters saying, well, because the uh, Idaho Education Network contract is void, there's no mechanism where we're going to pay the districts for kind of add-on purchases that they made. It leaves some districts in, in limbo for quite a bit of money. I mean, we wrote about the Pocatello district. They're on the hook for about 350000 It varies widely from district to district. So at any rate, another outside attorney, uh, fairly small uh, cost on this one. Uh, at this point, the governor's office says that it's, it's capped at about $7,500, and that's coming from in-house within the governor's uh, office budget. But, you know, it's another case uh, of outsourcing of legal work, and it's another case of layer upon layer of, uh, of legal work stemming from the demise of this project. I mean, it's... Uh, you know, it's a story that uh, seems to have no end, and one we will continue to watch and, and keep uh, keep tabs on. Yeah, long after the demise of the actual Idaho Education Network itself, and, and, and the case still of, has legs. And long after a lot of school districts have figured out how to get broadband into their high schools. I mean, you know, worth noting as we write about the aftermath of the uh, of the broadband project, uh, most school districts have kind of figured this out on their own and have uh, got systems in place, and in many cases are uh, saving some money relative to what uh, what the statewide system was costing. So it's not really affecting students at this point, but it is affecting taxpayers because we're talking about a lot of money and we're talking about money that uh, is on in limbo for a lot of school districts. So there's a, there's a watchdog component in all of this and we will keep watching. Absolutely. Well, I can hear the background music uh, ramping up as we speak. That must mean it's about time to go for the day. That covers it for a busy week and education. Before we go, Kevin, I want to wish you a very happy birthday. We are recording on your birthday uh, today, so I hope that you have uh, a great weekend. And I know you've got a couple races ahead that you're looking forward to. Uh, so good luck in those. And uh, we will be back here next week with a brand new edition of the Extra Credit podcast. In the meantime, you can like us on Facebook and follow at Idaho Ed News on Twitter for all the latest news. Thanks so much for listening. I am Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.